Welcome to the Dicer Screaming Podcast. Oh, hey, it looks like it's just me today. Wow. Well, thanks for joining. Hey, it's me, Randy. Uh, hopefully you stick around and enjoy what I have to talk about today. Uh, hmm. What should I talk about today? That's a good question. All right. Hey, I know. A lot of times I've got just a few questions. And I mean, by few, I mean like two. People have asked me, when I talk about British breakfast, what am I talking about? It's kind of an in-joke, but here it goes. When I talk about British breakfast, I, I talk about three role-playing games in particular. That, you know, from my uh, early days of picking up a White Dwarf magazine, or uh, what was that other one? Imagine? Yeah, I think it was Imagine. It always seemed like three games showed up quite a bit. RuneQuest, Call of Cthulhu. And Traveler. Yeah, yeah, I know. I hear everybody's talking about Paranoia. Well, I didn't get to run Paranoia. More or less, you experience Paranoia. But I get it. Yeah, that's that's a big thing with a lot of British folk. And I think that Paranoia really hit home with a lot of uh, people from the Isles. So, without further ado, I'm going to focus in on just three role-playing games that I like to play a lot and am currently involved in uh, three different campaigns with. So, talk about some things that are going on with each one of those games in no particular order. Let's, yeah, let's just delve right in. Okay. So, we're going to talk about Call of Cthulhu. And one of the things that we don't get a lot of time to talk about on the uh, show when Mike is here is, because we, we haven't haunt, not because uh, it's difficult working with him or anything like that. It's because it's a really nebulous subject to talk about the Call of Cthulhu classic deluxe set that they just put out, because it was a Kickstarter, it was limited edition, and there's so much stuff jammed into it. I mean, you get the box, if you know what I'm talking about, it's got, like, um, the full box set, plus all the handouts for everything included, plus... Uh, the uh, source book for the 1920s, the main Call of Cthulhu rules, world map, and uh, standees that it came with. But it also has uh, the Cthulhu Companion, uh, Fragments of Fear, Shadows of Yogg-Sothness, The Asylum and Other Tales, and On the Trail of the Sasagua. I hope I said that right. I think I did. All right. Doesn't matter. <laughs> They're all impronounceable anyway. The key point was is that each one of these, even the companions, have a lot of adventure in them. Now, the main rule book, of course, we know comes with the haunting, and the, the 20 source book has some ideas and little snippets of places maybe they could start uh, delve for a keeper for an archaeological dig or some kind of discovery mission. But more importantly, each one of these uh, Call of Cthulhu supplements, besides, well, obviously, the uh, Shadows of Yogg-Sothas, which was a global campaign, the Trail of Sasagua, and the Asylum and other tales were meant to be kind of interludes in between certain other games, like the Trail of Sasagua is kind of a complete scenario, kind of very limited, where Shadows of Yogg-Sothis was this large global campaign that would take months of play. And then uh, the Cthulhu Companion Fragments of Fear had very uh, focused, maybe not one night, but one-shot kind of scenarios that would take multiple sessions to play out as well as the Asylum was broken up into small little uh, interludes, side adventures, or maybe the whole group could make it so you play this 
they're meant to be a hodgepodge sort of fill-in. And I think with all three of those, gives a unique perspective that a lot of people don't appreciate. We haven't run Call of Cthulhu long-term, and at least it didn't occur to me until afterwards I'd run one of these myself, is that the prevailing attitude towards the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game is that it should be played in one-shots and spooky nights and maybe some other uh, one-offs palate cleansers, which, hey, I will confess I'm doing right now. But uh, you run these as sort of one-offs with new characters every time because the idea is, is that investigators just go insane. They uh, uncover the eldritch horrors, the arcane lore, the occult uh, expressions of cosmic horror that were rife in the Cthulhu mythos, and it just drives them mad. Now, true, but looking at some of the longer-term campaigns, as well as some of the uh, things from the Tales of Asylum, characters have a lot of downtime in between those adventures to recover from some of the traumas and shocks that they've experienced. And I think that's something that's been lost on a lot of people, and it's become kind of a trope, which we'll get into with the next game, like dying during character creation in Traveler, is that you know all lead paths lead to madness of Call of Cthulhu. There's no success. You are just stalling the inevitable. And, okay, fair, that's true. You'll be slowly driven insane by the discoveries you make. However, in that, there's some times of discovery and genuflection that characters can gain to keep their sanity scores still usable. Pardon? But also to keep the characters stable and grouped together, with some characters having to be replaced because of the traumas and injuries that have been inflicted upon them, giving time to keep the interludes going and keep the campaign moving ever forwards, which is a lot different than some other role-playing games. And I think that one of the lessons coming out of this box set is it gives us a time to look back at when these ideas weren't fleshed out so properly. Like with the 7th edition, they give a lot of tips to the Keeper on how not to overwhelm the players, unless, of course, they make silly decisions. Hey, let's summon Cthulhu. Look, it, it's not really hard. It's just, uh, you know, just say some words. And, uh, yeah, Cthulhu appears and yeah, devours you. Okay, well, probably a star spawn of Cthulhu, but let's not get into that too much. That's quibbling. <laughs> let's just say that yeah, you can make some bad decisions and find yourself in variably driven, irrevocably mad for a long period of time in Cthulhu, or just devoured. And uh, yeah, it's easy to die, and that's why it's kind of a horror role-playing game. But it's uh, it's cheating death, it's escaping that fate, keeping it alive and moving forward, which the 7th edition did, and later editions have done, I should say. Great job of giving keepers tips and tools on how to challenge players without always killing them or driving them insane. You want to definitely have the threat in everybody everybody who creates an investigator in Call of Cthulhu sort of understands what the long-term repercussions of playing in a game requires. But keeping a long-term running campaign, it's difficult in Call of Cthulhu, but it's not impossible. And if done right, can be one of the more rewarding facets of role-playing, especially if you're used to just loot or kill and loot dungeon crawls or need a change from that. 
It's a refreshing change, and it also gives a different perspective on how to play role-playing games in general, which is why I think Call of Cthulhu is relatively unchanged between the editions. Um, looking at the stuff from the Call of Cthulhu first edition, the first kind of uh, outing that they had, and the seventh edition, I don't really find that all much different. So, anyway, that's my perspective of uh, one of the things I want to talk about from covering the Call of Cthulhu box set without getting into the particulars is that there's a lot of downtime in between and it should be utilized. And I think that early keepers and investigators made good use of that and later sort of became codified that that was just kind of, this is how you play, this is how your character recovers. You got, uh, hey, it's going to take three months to get over to Africa, so on the continent. So, uh, yeah, you got some time uh, to recover, so use it well. And, um, you know, I think that that probably puts you in a different mindset than most other games where it was just constantly on the move, going to the next town, the next dungeon. And I think that's why Call of Cthulhu still is as popular as it is. And, you know, if you need a change now or back then, Call of Cthulhu is always a great one. All right. So I think I beat that to death. Put a ribbon on that and call it done. Move on to the next one, which was The Traveler. That's the second part of the British Breakfast. And again, Traveler, a science fiction game that, you know, what we, we talk about it now with glowing terms, but, you know, it always seems to be underappreciated. And hey, maybe rightly so. Uh, it does seem to kind of drag on in certain parts. And sometimes the rules can get a little obtuse because, hey, they make two die six do everything. Boy, if you didn't believe it was possible. I got a game to show you, and that's Traveler. So, that aside, I think uh, looking at Traveler long-term, uh, it's easy to see that as a long-term play. But Traveler's been around for a while, and it's been in different incarnations. Goodness. Uh, different incarnations like uh, Mega Traveler from the normal Traveler, Traveler 2300, which is, I guess, coming making a comeback. Um but yeah, the original Traveler game, the little black books, uh, had made quite an impact in the gaming sphere. But getting back onto the track here, what we're talking about, <laughs> uh, even with myself, I, we tend to ramble on. Yeah, the, the Traveler, just uh, the Mongoose Traveler 2nd Edition is on Humble, uh, the Bundle of Holding. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I was going to say, good thing I made a double check. Humble Bundle, but it's on bundleofholding.com. Traveler Explorations, uh, Mongoose Traveler Explorations, to be precise. That's yeah, the uh, second edition book, and uh, it comes with the uh, Traveler Core Rules from 2022 Upgrade, Behind the Claw, and the Sword Worlds. And that's just the Explorer Starter Collection. And uh, you can upgrade there. Uh, Aliens of Charted Space, one in, Volumes 1 and 2. Skandervik. Uh, campaign setting for the Sword Worlds and two Spinward, Spinward. Excuse me, don't want to say Spinward, 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 Spinward marches source books. Now Spinward marches is the default or quintessential or all or nothing uh, campaign setting for the Traveler game. So if you're not familiar with that, but it comes with two adventures. 
as well as uh, Zenob the Lost Duke. So for just under $40, you can get a whole lot of PDF goodness. So if you get some time, head on over there and talk. And uh, talk. You don't listen to me. Just terrible today with this. Um, give it a look. And, uh, you know, if nothing else, $12.95 gets you in the starter collection. And you can upgrade all the way up to almost 40 bucks with the Explorer bonus collection. So give it a look. And, uh, yeah, that's a lot of PDF goodness. But why would I talk about that? Well, yeah, the I know the the eye. No, we, we don't talk about the eye. We talk about in our little RPG friendly safe space of the RPG Cafe Corner. We talk about uh, new and interesting independent and small press, as well as other releases that might have been missed. We'd like to talk about uh, some of our favorite role playing games in that venue. So I haven't been hitting on that. So hey, that's a little shout out to our. RPG Cafe Corner. I hope you enjoyed that. But also leading in to something else that I think uh, needs a good look is the uh, Traveler Explorers Edition. Now, this is available on DriveThruRPG for a dollar. That's right, a dollar. You can download that. Get yourself a copy of this new starter set. And um, I'm going to do just a mini review. Uh, This is once again... um, one of those cases where they put a lot into this. Uh, it's one, just one basic rule book, about 75 pages. I guess it's going to retail for about $24. But it has everything you need to get started in the Traveler universe. It has the spaceship rules, trimmed down, obviously, space combat. Obviously, the combat system, because I don't think you can have a role-playing game without a combat system. And uh, how to build and repair spaceships, as well as uh, various types of gear, even a little bit on robotics and computers, as well as communication and other gear devices that you're going to find useful in a science fiction role-playing game. Despite also the encounters and dangers of being in space and in hostile worlds with high gravity and caustic atmospheres. But, excuse me. Take a sip here. All right. And getting back onto that, uh, besides all that, it has the skill system that is ubiquitous with Traveler, two dice, six plus modifiers. Try to roll on over and under. And the injury system I see has been uh, reintroduced. And, you know, a little bit more than just the uh, taking off in the basic system of most games where they just give basically a an overview of, hey, this is how combat feels. Get used to this. They uh, put the injury system fully into this one and uh, shows you how easy it is to buy the farm in Traveler. Now, of course, we were just mentioning about some tropes that translate back and forth throughout role-playing games, and Traveler is notorious for it. Yeah, you're going to die during character creation. And, well, you're not. Let's be honest here. You're not going to die in the Traveler character creation. I mean, unless you really want to. I mean, you can. That's an option, but I believe that's in the main rule book. But uh, to help you get started in the Traveler universe, they've only given you two options to start your Traveler's career. One, the scholar, and the next, the scout. Now, presumably, the scout will be mustering out with a ship, and that's where you provide it. But 
you know, um, each one of the classes or excuse me, careers, <clears throat> the career progress, you can be a field researcher under the scholar, a scientist or a physician. And there are different uh, development areas on those three paths. And of course, the scout has a similar thing with the courier, surveyor and explorer career progress to go through. And two of those, of course, give you a ship or an option to muster out with a ship if you go uh, long enough. But I kind of at first balked at this. I said, ah, you know, just two uh, career options to create your tra or starting traveler characters. And I was like, yep. But, you know, really looking, taking a step back, that does a lot. And uh, to get people started in traveler rather than throwing the whole blooming thing at them, just give players the option, hey, here's a kind of semi-military um, character that has a lot of different survival and uh, useful skills of uh, being pretty solid, much solitary and semi-dependent, independent on frontier worlds and the edge of space, as well as doing some corporate service as a courier or explorer. You can also end up helping develop plans and systems. You have the same with the scholar. You have a scientist or researcher. A researcher can actually end up with some with a scout ship as well. And that's kind of cool. So I think that there's different avenues to approach on how each character can fit into a small group of travelers, especially starting ones. And if you never had any experience with travelers, this is the go-to. So I think that is worth checking out. It is definitely a really good system. Uh, everything's here and it's solidly set up, well explained and well presented. I can find a few faults with it other than as I said, maybe just giving two career paths, maybe you could have stuck a third or maybe fourth in, but eh, that might have also been muddying it up a little bit. Best of maybe I agree with this after some thought and some time looking at it. Maybe it's best to just keep uh, just two narratives on how to start your traveler's career, where they came from. Because in Traveler, it's a classless game, so it doesn't really matter what you did so much as where you're at right now because you, you're out of the service. If, even if you played, like, a highly intense, uh, intensely focused combat monster out of the Imperial Marines, you would still no longer be in the Marines. You are now a traveler, and that's the big thing there. So, yeah, pick this up. Dollar gives you a taste, and, you know, um, when it comes out, it'll give you a, uh, a good uh, grounding into the world. Or world universe. He's terrible. Um, another thing is, is there's no humans is the default. So if you're looking for alien races to play, you're kind of out of luck on this one. So that's my big takeaway is I think that they could have also just done by putting the Varger or maybe the Aslan in. But hey, that's just me. Um, they made they make the choices, not me. I just uh, let them know when I'm a little disappointed with them. That's the big downer I want to take away from that. So, yeah, a lot of stuff on the Traveler front, if you haven't been keeping up with it. So, the Bundle of Holding, check it out. And as well as, uh, check out through uh, DriveThruRPG, the Traveler Explorers Edition. And that'll bring us to our third, which is a British Breakfast Tour, which is RuneQuest. And a lot of a lot of things happening for RuneQuest. Uh, the Johnstown Collective, always uh, a lot of good stuff there. 
Nick Brooks, uh, Black Spirit, just recently uh, did a read through. Very good. And also, I guess he's putting out some more stuff. But yeah, more on Nick Brooks. If you're out there, hey, Nick, how you doing? And uh, glad to see that uh, most of your stuff is doing really well. Great writing. Anyway, that plug aside, um, I picked up recently the uh, arms and equipment for RuneQuest. Very good stuff. Um, most of the time when you see something like that, you know that either you're coming to the end of an RPG run or it's time that uh, they want you to reinvest in something else. And, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's kind of a sign that when they get the arms and equipment, we're running out of ideas here. Uh, just keep buying our stuff, okay? Yeah, okay. Well, no matter what it is, RuneQuest is always delivered on really good uh, supplements. So I think uh, the weapons and equipment guide is another example of that, where this is a little bit more than what you'd expect. Normally, like, hey, here's some new super weapons that we may have looked up, and here's some... Uh, crazy armor that uh, you're just going to annoy your game master or DM. Ah, no, uh, this one is one of those rarities of books where you get a little bit more than what you bargained for. Um, RuneQuest obviously plays in a Bronze Age setting, and it's a Bronze Age fantasy setting that's really tied to mythological themes. And as you would expect, it's not your typical fantasy game. And... In a Bronze Age world, there's a lot of things going on with bartering and trading as well, besides just direct coin buys and uh, translating gems into raw coinage or back and forth. So there's a lot on here about the economy and the community, um, ways that uh, how you can sell loot and barter for it, and learning that, hey, bartering is actually a legitimate system that is overlooked in a lot of role-playing games. They take it very seriously here in the uh, old Glorantha currency, so that is also addressed. But going through and looking at things that, besides just weapons and armor, uh, there's a list of common goods, and there's roughly, I don't know, let's see, I want to say there's roughly about um, 12, 14 pages of just the various goods that are commonly encountered inside the Glorantha game. From clothing, jewelry, and cosmetics, to instruments, toys, games, food and drink, herbs, plants, and the raw materials and household goods that make everyday life livable and important, as well as just good old adventuring gear. And there's a large section on beasts, hirelings, which didn't get a lot of mention in the main rules and in the old school gaming, you know, as essential or seen as essential, as well as what the cost for magical services are. And while that's outlined in the main rule book, it's not, this gives it a more in-depth coverage for more than just healing and getting rid of, of diseases that you might've picked up. Um, weapons is pretty much what you'd expect. It's right there. Everything explained, um, cost of arrows and things like that, as well as armor, how to component down your armor in the old uh, ways. Some people have been grousing a little bit that, oh, I missed a third edition where you could just like uh, every piece be a different form of armor. Yeah, you can do that. But if you want to return to that, hey, you're going to be happy you found this. So this is another picked up as well as um, costs and ways of traveling. 
And uh, also for an important part of RuneQuest is managing household as a skill. They cover dwellings, uh, land improvements, and how you can influence not only just how your land or the hides of land is the measurement they use uh, affect your adventure, but how your adventure can infect, uh, infect, affect them. Goodness. And also training and some exotic items and enchanting. Stuff that you'd normally expect there. But also interspersed between it is the bits of Glorantha lore that is essential in describing the fantasy or mythic fantasy Bronze Age that is RuneQuest. So yeah, I just wanted to give a plug and a minor review for that. Uh, it's kind of surprising supplement for me because I was like, wow, well, I usually see this near as the end run of an edition. Nope, they put a right smack dab in the middle, and I think this one is one that is going to be referenced for years because it's how well done and well tied it is to the Glorantha system. Well, I pretty much run myself ragged, and uh, hopefully I've not abused your ears or your patience too much, and uh, hope you enjoyed just the kind of introspective of things that uh, I've been discovering, and maybe not worthy of a full episode, but definitely uh, a side quest, and that's what I'd like to call this, side quests. So, besides revealing the term British breakfast, I'd also like to say that this is uh, probably mic drop, they're going to be the name of the episode. So, hopefully you enjoyed listening to me ramble on, and kept it pretty close and quite under 30 minutes so i think we're just going to end it off here hopefully mike can join us next week and if not don't worry i've got some other episodes to do um if you guys have anything you'd like me to cover if dice screaming just let us know on the dice screaming anchor app where you can send us a message and i'll play it on air or we will or you can use that dice screaming facebook page that whole thing uh, still up there and working and uh, growing. So thanks everybody for that as well. You can just leave us a message on this and we'll have a look-see at it and take some of your ideas and suggestions. So without further ado, we're just going to wrap it up. So I'll see you later. Take care.